0: Welcome to the Pulse at Pooms podcast. My name is Sharon and I will be your host today. I'm a first year medical student in the 6MD program and the podcast chair of the Pooms AMSA Executive Board. In this series, we'll be interviewing doctors in different specialties at various stages of their training. With this series, we hope that we will be able to help you on your journey of deciding your path for the future. <laughs> so today we're very excited to be joined by Dr. Lian Wu who is a General Pediatrician working in Oregon. Hi Dr. Wu, how are you doing?
1: Good, good, good. thank you for having me today.
0: We're very excited to be hearing from you. I'm wondering if you can share some information about you and your previous education.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So yeah, I'm actually from Taiwan and I finished my undergrad in Taiwan. I majored in physical therapy. I went to NTU National Taiwan University. After that, I went to PUMS from 2008 to 2012 and then moved to the States to complete my pediatric residency in Cleveland, Ohio. After that, I came to Oregon for my general attending, you know, pediatrics job.
0: What is it that made you choose medicine after physiotherapy?
1: Great question. So I knew that I wanted to be in kind of some kind of medical field when I was in school back in Taiwan. But unfortunately, though, after going to physical therapy, I realized that in Taiwan, you cannot actually practice alone. That you're, You always have to follow the physician's order before you can do manual therapy for your patients. You know what's best for your patient, but you always have to get the order from the physician and they might actually order something that maybe that's, you know, you don't think that's enough for the patient. So I felt that I needed more autonomy. I wanted to care for people. People the way I could, so I decided to go to medical school, not to become a, you know, a doctor. Now ordering physical therapy, that's why I didn't go into M and R, but pediatrics.
0: Were you able to incorporate your knowledge from physiotherapy? Go and now practicing as a physician?
1: Yes, especially when we were in med school in Kunsan, the first year that for anatomy class, really my education in physical therapy helped me a lot. You know, the muscles, everything, anatomy, you know, mm-hmm. tendons and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. now in practice for just the physical examination, it helped me a lot for the you know musculoskeletal examination. I know what things I'm supposed to do. If I think the patient needed more checkup, like or other diagnostic tools, I know kind of what kind of imaging I'm supposed to use. So I do feel that the the education back in Taiwan helped me a lot. And also the clinical rotations back in Taiwan as a PT helped me a lot with towards injury, those things and that still happen nowadays in pediatric populations.
0: I thought from your previous experience, maybe you would want to go into PM&R. Are there some reasons why you chose pediatrics? And if there are other specialties that you were considering when you were applying?
1: My first interest in pediatrics also started when I was a PT student in Taiwan. And I did a rotation in NICU, neonatal ICU. That physical therapists they have a huge role in PT, you know, in caring for those preemie babies as well for their development, their muscle tones and stuff. And that's how I got interested in pediatric You know, I love the newborns in particular. And then after going to med school, it kind of just you know further strengthened my 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 interest in pediatrics because of the rotation, the clinical rotations, my experience with kids, Um, and in general, I just love love kids, right? So that's how I decided to go to pediatrics. Specialties, though, I was thinking about. You know, it kind of depends on where you kind of want to practice in the future as well. And then we might talk about that because. Applying for residency in the U.S. as IMG, it's you know, as easy. So I'm lucky that I love pediatrics, and that's why I got into.
0: We're really glad to have you as a pediatrician, somebody who's so passionate about caring for the children. Could you take us back? How was your overall experience with pediatric uh, residency? Mm
1: -hmm. I think residency in general, it's of course, it's not easy. You know, you have to work long hours. But my experience in pediatric residency, though, because I work with kids, so first, you know, that makes you like your days go better I, in my opinion i feel like dealing with kids are a much happier experience but you also have to keep in mind though because um, your patients are pediatric population the other thing you need to learn is about you know talking to the parents um, so um, even though you know so i would say that pediatric even though you're interested you love kids that might not be the enough reason to go into pediatrics because you want to know that you also cannot you know teaching the adults And one very important thing is actually advocating for children because, you know, they don't advocate for themselves. Sometimes they're not getting the care they're supposed to get in the family, in the school or stuff like that. So um, pediatric residency taught me a lot, especially where I trained. It was in Cleveland, Ohio. So a lot of patients that we serve was the underserved population. So I learned to kind of advocate for the the patients, which include sometimes you might have to call child service, which is not the most pleasant thing to do, but really advocating for the child as a pediatrician.
0: So in your opinion, if somebody is thinking about pediatrics as their future specialty, what do you think would make an ideal candidate besides being very passionate about child care, about children wellness in general?
1: So pediatric is actually kind of primary care specialty, right? So here in the US, I would say that being in pediatric, you kind of really know the child a lot from the the, the, the moment that they're born and until their development, their learning the taller age, elementary school and stuff like that. And I also felt that, you know, after so many years in pediatric, that I feel that I'm kinda of in charge of almost everything in their lives, you know, not just their, their their health, but also their school performance. Your family, you know, the stress dynamic in the family, because those will all come to your charting, your table that the schools might request stuff from you. Like I was mentioning, child service might be asking stuff from you. Even sometimes the court might be asking stuff from you, you know, as a pediatrician. So I would say uh, you all have to kind of embrace yourself for preparing yourself for kind of dealing with different kind of challenges, not just the health of the child, but many, many other aspects as well.
0: So like the holistic aspects of life is yeah. really part of the job. After pediatric residency, what are some fellowship or career options for pediatrics?
1: There's many subspecialties in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. You might have heard about, for example, cardiology, right? So pediatric cardiology, pulmonology, um, endocrinology, or like GI, right? GI is a big one nowadays. There's also some other ones. Uh, The the other one that I think is very important for pediatrics, the behavioral health. So actually developmental pediatrics. So those developmental pediatricians, they also go, um, they went through a fellowship training and they are really good with, for example, that diagnosing that autistic patients, deve- developmentally delayed patients, intellectual disabled kids, uh, stuff like that. There's also other subspecialty I didn't think about. That's pretty much the ones, the major ones uh, for subspecialty. Oh, neonatology. Yes. The NICU one. So NICU, you cannot care for the preemie babies or the just, the, you know, the, the newborns, even for term babies that, but that, that are sick, you know, they go to the NICU. So neonatology is another big uh, subspecialty in pediatrics.
0: Was there a big difference between working in the hospital and in the clinic? Because I know now you work in the outpatient care.
1: Very different, I would say. So in a hospital, it also depends on whether the hospital is affiliated with a medical school or not, right? So if it's a university-affiliated medical hospital, then you have different rules. You might have rules of teaching students, teaching residents. Uh, you might have some um, faculty academic role that you might have to give, you know, a certain education hours every year. And your titles might be different too, like assistant professor, associate professor, or just professor, right? Kind of different kind of requirements. Working as an outpatient pediatrician, pretty much day in and day out, you go to work and you care for your patients. You might be on call depending on your practice size. You might attend deliveries um, at the delivery room, like depending on your job contract and also depend on where you're practicing. Some remote pediatric clinic doctors, they do need to attend deliveries for for preemie babies. Maybe there was no NICU in their area. So in, in different kind of settings. So. In general, outpatient pediatrics. You're and you just kind of work as a day shift, but also at nighttime you might be on call and you might sometimes get called to get to the hospital if you have some other admitting privileges at the hospital or admitting uh, responsibilities.
0: And now as a, a attending, I imagine you wouldn't have to take calls anymore, or how does call work as an attending?
1: Right. So it depends on the the again the how you how your you know contract shows and where you're working at. So where I um, I was working on where I will be working at um, I do have call schedule and because even though my clinic time is only open during the daytime right for example 8 to 5 p.m and Saturday clinics Sunday Sunday there's no clinic Saturday clinics but if a patient, you know, for example, falls ill, they might call you for advice in the middle, middle of the night, right? So um, that's how the call schedule works. And my current job, we also round at newborn nurseries. The newborns at the hospital, they might, you know, act up. They might have some issues, like for example, jaundice or uh, respiratory distress that 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 will require attention. So that's how my call schedule works. So when I'm on call, I need to still stay in the city. I can't get too far in case a newborn acts up at the hospital. But some other pediatric jobs though, some other clinic jobs might not have call schedule at all. Mm-hmm. So they might just hire a call, a nurse line service. They might purchase that from other hospitals. They might request that from other hospitals to do the advisory calls for them. And some clinics actually they don't run on newborns. Like they they just kind of see their own patients during the day um, and then they don't go to the hospital to see newborns. So it's very different in every clinic.
0: So it sounds like there's still quite a lot of variability and you maybe like share with us what's like a typical day for you?
1: So for me, if I, for example, if I'm not on call that day, then I usually get to the clinic at about 8 o'clock, 8 to 8.20 and start my first patient at about 8.20 in the morning. And then, you know, between 8.20 and noontime, it's just really back to bad patients. And usually, though, each hour we have three to four patients scheduled and it might be, you know, well child check, including, you know, a vaccination and talking about their development. And there could also be like follow up appointments like some patient that you've been following for a certain disease or um, other issues that you have them come back to follow up. Or there can be same-day urgent visit, right? Like some parents just call in the morning asking, oh, okay, my, I think my kid is sick, having an ear infection or having a fever that you want them, I mean, the parents want them to be seen. So the, so usually in an hour time, we have about three to four patients. And then after that will be lunchtime. And again, starts at one o'clock and another couple hours of the cleaning time. Um, but if I'm on call for the day, then in the morning, I do have to go to the hospital first to round on the newborns, and see the newborns first before I start my clinic day. Um, I have to complete the charting as well for the newborns at the hospital. Um, So it's just a little bit, a different variety of the schedules. And it also depends on whether you work at, for a big, like a big chain clinic or just kind of individual solo practice. But because if you work for like a bigger institution, their outpatient pediatric clinic, um, they might have a set schedule for their day. And uh, for the outpatient, the solo practice, or just more private clinics, they usually have more. You have more flexibility. You can talk to the administration and kind of modify your schedule. Um, for example, sometimes I mean, I, I I actually start earlier than my colleagues and then finish late uh, earlier than my colleagues, so I can pick up my kids in the school uh, after work, stuff like that.
0: I know you're quite active on Instagram and you have two very cute children. Also, like a very heavy clinical practice. How how do you balance life? Do you have some advice on how to maintain a balance?
1: I don't think I'm doing a great job for that because, you know, as a working mom in different other professions, you know, they have to struggle with life and work. For for doctors, I think it's a little bit, even more difficult because of the call schedule. And that's one of the reasons when I look for my job that I, I chose the one that I didn't need to attend deliveries. Because if you do have to attend deliveries, they might call you in the middle of the night, right? You have to, you know, just drop the kids and then, go to the hospital for a, a, a baby's birth and then that's also another reason in order to spend more time with my kids i chose for this current job you know it's more of during only monday to friday occasionally there's a saturday uh, but not a lot so it really depends on you know your job description some other specialties though you might not have flexibility but some other specialty that may have more spe- uh, flexibility than pete's for example Emergence, they, they work shifts. So after they're and they're done. They, you don't have to be on call. Right? You don't have to be worried about getting called back to the hospital again. And like for example, in anesthesiology, it's also like they work shifts. So kind of different, different kind of um, options for your kids, uh, for, for your kind of, if you're thinking about, thinking about family for the future.
0: Mm, okay. So I think it's definitely something to be thinking about. As an IMG, wondering if you could share some information on How was the application process for you, Um, especially about the visa? A lot of people are wondering about the difference between maybe H-1B visa, a J one visa.
1: I didn't know that USMLE Step 1 has changed recently to Mm -hmm. pass and fail. So my experience from 10 years ago might be a little bit different in terms of taking USMLEs. But I would think that's still the most important, but in my opinion, like, you know, at least get a score or at least get it, you know, you have to pass USMLE. That's the first thing that they look at, right? When you're applying for residency. And then the extracurricular activities. I have to be honest though, I don't think I had that many. To be honest, I was the class representative for at Poom's for I think from the second year to the fourth year. And I think that was the only thing that I have pretty much on extracurricular ac- activity and maybe also the neonatal um, research club that I did with Dr. Mazzella um, back then. Maybe that helped a little bit, too. So other than that, I would say getting in electives in the States is very important so that you get to know, you know, some doctors here that can write recommendation letters for you. Because when you're applying for residency, they really want to see a recommendation letter coming from a U.S. doctor compared to, you know, a recommendation letter from maybe another doctor that they don't really know. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing. Uh, In terms of visa, though, there are different ways to get a visa, right? So that, like you were saying, the H-1B or the J-1. So if you're just a graduating med student and you're going to residency right away, then as an IMG, there's no way you can apply for H-1B visa. Because in order to apply for that, you need to complete it step three already. But step three for USMLE, you need to graduate from med school before you can, you know, take the exam. Mm-hmm. So if you're just graduating from med school and coming directly to residency, then you, you're not able to do H1B visa. So that actually just leave you with one other option, the J1. The J1 visa, the other name is, you know, exchange visitor. So pretty much that your home country is sending you out for training uh, because they require, they, they, they are in need of such, you know, professionals to come back to the country to serve in the future after you finish your residency training. So mm-hmm. in to do that, to get a J-1 visa, you will need a statement of need from your home country, usually the Department of Health, um, that they have to state that, oh, I, I allow so-and-so to do this residency training in the United States because our country is in need of this doctor, this specialty doctor. And that will actually um, not every single country is willing to do that, to give out a statement of need, because many countries, they want to keep their doctors home, right? They want to keep their uh, professionals in their home country to serve their own people. So that's one difficult, that's the first challenge to get, you know, the statement of need. But if you're just coming out from med school, then J-1 is the only option to, to get in a residency. And then if you are on J-Visa, if you come to the States for residency on a J-Visa, then after you graduate... You're supposed to go back to your home country because, again, it's an exchange visitor visa that you're you're supposed to go back to serve your home country. So um, there's a requirement that you need to go back to your home country for two years before you can, you know, apply for a new work visa as an attending in the state. But there's one way to waive that two year home residence requirement, which is just doing a waiver job. So basically, you're trying to waive that two that two years of the home residence requirement by serving at an underserved area in the United States. And there's actually a waiver program for each state. And uh, each state, each year has limited spots for people that, for for physicians looking for J-1 waiver jobs. So the spots are limited. And so that's one one way to find a J-1 waiver job. But the other way is to look for the physician and patient ratio. So some areas might not be so under so remote, but they're actually the physician and patient ratio is low, so they need more physicians. So that will also actually qualify for the waiver, you know, program. They the waiver jobs are mostly for primary care. So pediatrics, family medicine, internal medicines, these are considered primary care. So if you are a subspecialist, for example, I know people that did NICU, neonatology fellowship. But they couldn't find a waiver job for neonatologists because neonatologists consider too, you know, too subspecialized. So it's not a primary job. So they had to do a three year waiver first as a general pediatrician before they can use their expertise in NICU after they complete their waiver job. I don't know if that's
0: already confusing enough. So in order to find a waiver job, they had to practice as a general practitioner until they finished the waiver job to be able to, again, utilize their specialty as a neonatologist, if that's correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. But I also know one of my friends, she did a neurology. So she specialized in neurology. So neurology is actually not primary care, right? Mm -hmm. But she she was able to find a neurology waiver job in Minnesota so mm-hmm. she, she was able to continue her expertise she didn't have to do you know other things so she was able to find one for that so mm-hmm. it really depends on your luck and then the the shortage of that year whether you can find a waiver job that suits your specialty
0: okay well it sounds mm-hmm. like the visa application process is really something to be planning ahead and to doing some research in advance um as like a attending pediatric attending for at least five years now um are there some things that you notice are critical skills that p- people interested in pediatrics should have
1: uh i would say passion of course for every specialty not just pediatrics uh, you want to love the things that you're going to be doing and the other thing i would say communicating right um and that's why most of the pri- primary care doctors do we talk a lot we just kind of have to talk to patient and parents a lot about for example developmental surveillance um, and then public health education. And the last two years, we've been talking a lot about, you know, COVID, you know, how to um, keep your child safe, you know, vaccination, those kind of different stuff. So um, I would say, you know, just in general passion, and that's pretty much it, and you know, know what you like
0: to do. These two skills physicians should have in general, no matter right. which field. So to be passionate about their job and to be able to communicate to the patient. Are there some advice that you would give students for people who are interested in pediatrics about how they could um, prepare themselves for this field?
1: I would say kids are the best, you know, just keep it, remember that kids are the best, you know, they're so resilient and then they, they surprise you every day. And um, um, really just to, I, I never regretted coming into pediatrics, really just, you know, um, uh, it's really a happy environment you get to dress up for Halloween you know even though I personally don't do that but you know you see the kids in the clinic you know the daughters will be dressed up in Halloween and for different um, holidays and stuff so I think in, in medicine medicine is busy right like we we, we are busy all the time uh, we are stressed pretty frequently but you know in pediatrics, you you get to find you know the, um, the happiness in, in doing medicine I think
0: yeah. And last of all, I would like to ask you about, um because I know you do a lot of advocacy for um right now, especially the COVID vaccine. Um, mm. Do you maybe speak about that?
1: Yeah. So um I started talking about you know, COVID pandemic last year in 2021 with a group of other, you know, uh, physicians and group other professionals. And they're actually from Taiwan. And we talk on Clubhouse every Taiwan time, every Sunday in the morning to like, so talking about different science and evidence-based medicine and the global development currently regarding COVID. Last year, I sent my kids back to Taiwan and my husband. So I was here in the United States alone. So I had a lot more time, more free time. And I felt that if we can all do something ourselves, then we can hope, hopefully end the pandemic together. So I felt that, you know, advocating for a safe vaccine, which is, I mean, it's been shown that they're safe, right? Relatively safe um, and effective, that will help us end the pandemic soon. And would be able to reunite with my kids sooner. That was my initial thought, you know, just pretty much I need to see my kids sooner. And then so I started talking about that, being joined in it. And, you know, um, I do have to spend time every week preparing for my talk. Um, but that also keep me up to date on the most current science and know about the studies that came out, especially for that pregnant woman getting vaccines, effects on the newborns. For the child's protection from the you know, maternal uh, antibody or different things, so I felt that it helped me a lot. So and I, and I made a lot of more friends. So
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: it, it's been a fun you know journey.
0: It sounds like a really exciting project and uh, um, we're really happy to have doctors, physicians like you so passionate about the field to be contributing to um, and sharing your information and expertise on the topic. Speaking about like looking for information online, staying up to date on the latest, I guess, research. Are there some platform that you would recommend students utilize to search for information yeah. like this?
1: Yes. So, you know, um, different, different countries have their own websites, right? So for the United States, there's a CDC weekly tracker. It just gives you the general, you know, development of the current week of the, the cases, deaths, you know, vaccination rates and stuff like that. I personally really like this, um, CDC MMWR. It's the morbidity and mortality weekly report website. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives out kind of different studies every week. Um, and then talking about the COVID vaccine, the pandemic, and different things. That's one option. The other one is the ACIP. ACIP is the vaccine committee. You know, they make meetings once in a while to talk about the follow-up, the safety of the current COVID vaccines. They will have the up-to-date, you know, make, for example, um, side effect reports, you know, after the vaccinations and what are people doing about it? The scientists, what are they doing like, to study more about the vaccine? So the CDC MMWR is one, and the other is the ACIP meeting um, materials is another big one. I use a lot.
0: Okay, so for those interested also in staying the most up-to-date with the latest news, these are two platforms that our Dr. Wu has so kindly shared with us. So thank you so much, Dr. Wu, for, for your time today.